Welcome to The Successful Strategist, a podcast on strategy, management, and governance dedicated to helping you answer the most important questions any organization can ask. I'm Mitchell Muncie, a consultant who has co-founded or led five startups, for-profit and non-profit, spanning the media, public policy, and higher education. And I've served on fiduciary boards for industry, academic, and youth-serving organizations. In these practical five-minute episodes, I cut through jargon and myth to offer you the same advice I give my clients. Good morning. This is the third in a series of episodes in which we're developing a practical answer to the question, what is strategy? Last time, we discussed the second of five essential elements of strategy, that it is based on difference. Choosing to perform different activities or similar activities differently than other organizations. Today, we'll discuss the third element of strategy that it requires exclusion. In his classic Harvard Business Review article on strategy, Michael Porter goes so far as to say that the essence of strategy is choosing what not to do. In other words, If we don't find ourselves passing on opportunities we'd otherwise like to pursue, we don't have a real strategy. And for most organizations, the problem is too much opportunity, not too little. As David Packard, co-founder of Hewlett-Packard, put it, more businesses die of indigestion than starvation. When organizations try to serve too wide a range of customers or beneficiaries, or satisfy too many of their needs, they run into one or more of three problems. First, not all good activities and ways of working are compatible. Different products and services require different equipment, different employee skills and behavior, and different management systems. They draw revenue from different groups of people in different ways. This means that if an organization's range of activities is too broad, Gains in one area can come only at the expense of gains in another area. Second, refusing to exclude certain activities will confuse colleagues and employees who have to make choices of their own about what to do and how to do it based on their understanding of the organization's priorities. If those priorities aren't clear or they appear to conflict, employees can't make choices in a coherent and cooperative way. Third, we will confuse our customers or beneficiaries and may damage our organization's reputation if we appear to be presenting inconsistent goods and services at the same time. To sum up, if some of our activities would be more successful if we weren't performing other activities, then our organization has a dangerous competitor, itself. It can be tempting to think that strategy is needed because of scarcity, that if we had practically unlimited resources, we wouldn't need to make these choices. But I believe this is a misunderstanding. While a good strategy will allow us to manage limited resources well, the purpose of strategy is to make our work produce substantially more than the sum of the resources we put into it. This is what it means to add value. So yes, with unlimited resources, we could eventually overcome the three problems I described a moment ago. But without a strategy, we would be destroying value 
spending those resources to produce less than we had to begin with. It's also tempting to think that strategy causes scarcity, that it is at odds with growth. After all, haven't we been talking about passing on potentially worthwhile opportunities? Isn't growth what our investors or donors are expecting of us? This view presumes that growth won't come at the expense of our current activities, that we'll be able to reap the benefits of new activities or groups of customers without undermining our current success. Porter calls this straddling, and the stories of organizations that have tried it don't inspire optimism. They usually discover that even as they add new activities or groups of customers, the quality of their core offerings drops, with, at best, a very modest rise in net profit. The new offerings, in Porter's words, are like barnacles on a ship. If you want examples, look no further than whatever mergers or acquisitions are in the news right now. My suggestion for today is, ask yourself whether your organization treats negative choices as though they are as important as positive ones. As important as it is to be clear on what your organization will do and what it will not do, not just any set of clear choices will work. Next time, we'll discuss the fourth element of strategy, that it requires a mutually reinforcing fit between your activities. Most people learn about podcasts from friends and colleagues. If this episode was helpful, please take 30 seconds right now to recommend The Successful Strategist to one other person and share it on social media. And don't forget to subscribe yourself if you haven't already. If you'd like to receive my free twice-monthly email, which includes show notes and a summary of an important article on strategy, management, or governance, sign up at thesuccessfulstrategist.com. I'm glad we could invest this time together. Remember that being a successful strategist doesn't require specialized training or unique insight, just a commitment to asking the right questions. The Successful Strategist is a production of Prospera LLC, a consulting firm providing strategy development, nonprofit due diligence, crisis management, and interim executive management to mission-driven organizations and philanthropists. Learn more at prosperallc.com. This is Mitchell Muncy. Talk to you next time.